welcome to Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. We'll be looking at this in the next few weeks. And it's a letter which is very positive in many, many ways, with hope for those who are facing opposition for their faith, care for those managing tensions in the church, and there's clear Christian teaching to support Paul's previous visits. Here within this letter, there is concern for individuals. Above all, there is passion for the Lord Jesus and passion for the good news about him. There is rebuke for those who would confuse others. There is thanks for the generous support and the encouragement that came with it that Paul had received from his fellow believers. And above all, there is great love and compassion from Paul for his fellow Christians. Now, Paul, on this occasion, was writing from prison, probably in Rome. He was under some kind of house arrest in Rome or maybe in Ephesus. More of that in subsequent weeks. But even this is something that he wanted to reassure his friends about, seeing God's hand in all that had happened to him. The people he was writing to were one amazing church. Philippi was a well-established town. It was in the northeast of what is modern Greece. It was set on a main road, on a trade route. And previously, it was a Greek town. But it had soon become a Roman colony, which meant that the establishment in Rome encouraged retired Roman soldiers to settle there. And this, of course, had the result of bringing a stable Roman town where there was great respect for Roman citizenship. Paul, when he'd first visited Philippi, had reason to know that because the, there was one stage in the story, which I'll refer to in a minute, where he needed to use his Roman citizenship. But there was no doubt about who was in charge, and you would have seen plenty of Roman soldiers. That is from a reenactment. If you've ever seen reenactments, you will know that they look pretty imposing. And I've seen reenactments on places like Hadrian's Wall, a place I love. But you can get the definite impression this was a powerful military force. And if the town had within it um, retired Roman soldiers, and there were plenty, there would have been alongside that great respect for Roman citizenship, Roman laws, and the Roman way of doing things. No doubt, therefore, about who was in charge. But the town was quite well-to-do. After all, people in the church had been able to help Paul financially. Most of the citizens were Greek or they were Roman, but there was a small Jewish community. It was mixed socially, ethnically, and by faith, rather like the West Midlands nowadays. Fine. The church in Philippi was interesting because it was the first that Paul had started in Europe. If you've got your Bible available, look up Acts chapter 16, verse 11 onwards. And it's very easy to find because it's, it's page 1112. Acts chapter 16, page 1112. And it was the story about how the church started in Philippi. Paul, a Roman citizen, a well-educated man with several languages, but also ethnically a Jew, went first to a small group of Jewish women who met down by the river. And then 
Other things happened. He was thrown into jail because of disturbances and so on. If I ever doubt that somebody I've met might become a Christian and then be able to live and worship and just be together with other Christians, I really need to go back to this passage. I don't want to go into it in great detail, but if you look at the new believers, there was Lydia. She was an accomplished businesswoman. Somebody like this. She dealt in purple goods, something that only the most successful people would be able to afford. And from other records, it appears that Philippi was quite sympathetic, quite tolerant of a woman like this, taking part in trade. And then there was the jailer. Now, the jailer, it would not have been a particularly nice job. I recognize that the job of prison officer is a highly responsible one, because when I trained to be a lay reader about 15 years ago, one of my fellow trainees with whom I worked on various activities had recently retired from being a prison officer at the jail in Stafford. And I came to the firm conclusion that the prison service is not the easiest place to be a Christian. He had had various issues to face. It's a tough job in all sorts of ways, and he'd lived it as a believer. But the jailer in this case, first of all, imprisoned Paul and Silas. But then, following an earthquake, he came to believe in Jesus. And there was the slave girl. Now, the slave girl, did she believe as well? I hope she did. For she had been delivered and rescued from an absolutely appalling life. Rather like modern slavery. An appalling life. And it was this. She was actually making very dirty money indeed for other people that got Paul thrown into jail with his friend Silas in the first place. So, imagine a modern church which included someone who is a business person, man or woman, say a buyer from a big store, a tough prison officer, and a young woman who said little about her past, but say had come to faith through an organization like Bethel. That would be quite some church. Paul, going back to the letter to the Philippians on page 1178, Paul had travelled widely round the Mediterranean and inland. He'd used the trading routes, the land routes, and the sea routes throughout the Roman world. He'd established churches in lots of places, and his letters, written to churches in Colossae, in Ephesus, in Rome, and so on, and to individuals like his friend Timothy, are full of his concern for God's truth, that it should not be changed, or damaged by those who are usually out to teach other things and sometimes out for themselves, but also of concern for Christians, <coughs> new and established, who were living in an alien culture and who needed to keep close to God. Now, Paul, as you, if you know, for example, the letter to the Galatians, Paul could be hard on those who sought to add to or change teaching of Jesus and teaching about Jesus, making it very clear there was only one gospel. But as we've heard in Libby's reading, and indeed we felt in the prayers that Alan and Gillian have just read, have just prayed, this begins and it continues with warmth and obvious love and concern for Paul's Christian friends in Philippi. Now he knew them. He wanted to reassure them about himself and about others. 
but this is not just a leader of a secular organization writing to a branch manager, or the bishop or the elders, and a branch staff of a secular organization. This goes far deeper. It's much more concerned. It's based on years of knowing each other, and this is the heart of it, based on knowing Jesus himself. After the conventional greetings, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to God's holy people, and so on. What a great way to start any letter. I thank God every time I remember you. I always pray with joy. Think for a moment if there are Christian friends you've had over the years, or over the last month, maybe the last few weeks, where you could write to them. I thank God every time I remember you. I always pray with joy. For some reason, I kept a list of the people in my small group in a church I belong to. You can see, if you don't know me very well, I'm terribly old, about 35 years ago. If I look back at it now, I can also thank God every time I remember. John, Lynn, Paul, Kate, Brian, Gwen, Colin, Jill and the others. Some of them are still living in the area. Many have moved on to other places, and some are now with the Lord. But I look back with great thanks for all the support I had from them. The things we laughed about, the care when times were hard, and the depth of Christian friendship and fellowship. For our fellowship was based on years of knowing each other, and this is the crucial bit, based on knowing God in the person of Jesus. One young family had only just come to faith. I remember that the husband, for some reason, had thought he, he wanted to get confirmed, so he'd gone along to the supervising church. I was, this was a small church, roughly akin to Tynings Lane. And the husband had gone to see the vicar of the main church, like APC, because he wanted to be confirmed. And he did the course towards being confirmed, and in the course of the course, he became a Christian. And so people prayed vigorously for his wife, and she soon also believed. One of their children is my godchild, so I got to know them fairly well. They are an amazing young family. More of them in a minute. Think back to your own Christian experience, be it long or short. Do you have Christian friends of whom you could say this? Friends with whom you have in common the most important thing of all. Quite simply, you both know Jesus. But Paul had also shared with them, in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, the partnership of the gospel, this wasn't just fellowship, they worked together. They worked together telling others about Jesus and building each other up as active Christians. Now, in any walk of life, in any area of life, we get to know people well when we do something together. I remember back again to that church. We had um, a main church building, but we needed an extra building for um, some of the children's work and the other bits and pieces. We couldn't afford anything like a church centre, but we managed to get one of those old-fashioned temporary classrooms that somebody was selling off. So it was brought and it was put next to the church, but then it needed <coughs> renovating. Now it happened, the minister had been an electrical engineer, there was somebody else who was a surveyor, and so the men got together on a Saturday morning 
and they did decorating and mending and electrics and things like that, and they worked at it. I knew my place. I just went and made the tea. And they had a great time. They worked together. If you do things together and you have to depend on support of each other, the surveyor needed to get his part right. The electrical engineer certainly needed to get his part right, and so on. If you get involved where you have to support each other, and particularly where you're involved in this case in Christian work, and that to me was definitely Christian work, you do get to know people. And Paul wanted to encourage them. Now, I have a theory that there is not enough encouragement in the world. I don't mean cheap encouragement that says that things are good when they are not. What I mean is a genuine wish to, this is an example, support other people by noticing what they are doing and then praising them for getting something right. I have had encouragement from all sorts of people here for which I'm extremely grateful. I think this is the first time I've preached since I was taken ill that last September. Let me now say what I've said informally to lots of people. I was tremendously supportive. Boy, you find out who your friends are. And I had very, very many. From the people who came to see me to the people who prayed for me, when suddenly, quite unexpectedly, I was taken in, into hospital. The people who looked after me, the people who made meals, the people who wrote to me. It was tremendous. And I was greatly encouraged. It was not a cheap sort of encouragement. It went very deep, and for that I was very grateful. Paul often talks of his fellow Christians in this and in other places as his brothers and sisters. And we can and must remember that we are family with one Heavenly Father. Families have their ups and downs. I know I'm, I have no immediate family, but I have a family in Canada, and I have a family wider in this country. Brothers and sisters sometimes fall out. I am very blessed. Mine lives on the west coast of Canada and rings me every weekend. We get on fine. We are still family. There is so much here in this passage and the rest of the letter that can apply to our situation here and now. And I think it's not coincidence that we are looking at this letter here and now. Incidentally, when I was thinking about what to say, and I thought I'd got my ideas together. And I knew the parish profile was coming out with a description of the, of the church and everything for those who may want to apply to be rector. I discussed this and this passage from Philippians with somebody who is very much younger than me and a member of this church, one of our young people. In a short conversation, in a short car ride, I learned a lot. And for that, I'm very grateful. We reflect and we think about these things with each other and we learn more of God. Now, after the ups and downs we've had recently and the things we've had to do in the interregnum, now we await the calling, the appointment and the arrival of our next rector. So let's look together at verses 9, 10 and 11, which have already been mentioned, thank you, Alan and Gillian, in the prayers. Yes, we need to be praying for each other. Of course we're praying for a new rector but we need to be praying for each other, verses 9, 10, and 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, 
so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. We should be praying for each other. And this is yet another advert, therefore, please, if you are available, come to the prayer event on Tuesday, if you're able to do so. If not, please pray at home. We're seeking more insight. As I said, I got great insight from somebody a fraction of my age and knowledge of God and of his son Jesus so that we can then discern what is right, how we here and now should live and how we can and should support each other and be filled with the fruit of righteousness. That's the thing. It will show in our lives. If we have the fruit of righteousness, if we have God's spirit, then there are fruits of the spirit that will be seen. And the danger is that we push this aside in the busyness of our day-to-day -day lives in a church. We push this aside and we risk becoming like the branch of a human organization cut off from God. I put that sentence together and I suddenly remembered John 15, the passage about the vine. I am the vine, said Jesus, you are the branches. Keep abiding in me. You stick with me. Don't get taken off. If you're cut off like a branch, you will be dead. It's so easy to get so busy that we forget the main purpose and the main person, which is God himself. But if we do, if we remember, if we pray and we come close to him, get this right, and all the other things that we want, like a new rector, will eventually follow. God will give us strength to do that. And the aim in the end is the glory and praise of God. Now, the whole of this letter, and I'm trying hard not to get into the rest of the themes, they belong in future weeks. It's incidentally not that long a letter, and if you do have time, it repays reading the whole lot through in one go, remembering that people would have heard it like that. And the people who heard it first, they may have known the Old Testament scriptures, they may have seen something of what has now become the beginning of the New Testament, the stories of the Nazareth, but they would have little else to guide them. Imagine hearing all of it in one day. It's worth reading. This whole letter to Paul, that is Christian friends, is full of joy. He uses the word being passed as well as a short letter. It's full of joy and support and encouragement. But I think there is one word I want to look at in a bit more detail. Now normally, I don't like preaching just on one verse. The problem with one text is to get three texts, very texts, everywhere with three texts, and you'd be out of time. This, think about it, you do. This is rather different. I think it's because it sums up a lot of what we've been thinking about. There's different translations. Again, it's worth looking at in a, a more modern or older translation. Being confident in it, the thing who began a good work will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I have known that verse used at important times under the blood. I've known, for example, it be written in the front of the Bible to someone who's just been ordained as a minister. A great thing to do. This young man had got a promising future who was very handsome and he's given himself into the service of college through the Christian ministry. 
started the inquiry in you or me that made me want eventually to become a Christian. He began a good work. Now the person you are becoming, the people we are becoming together, is a good work. And I say that whatever you may think of yourself and whatever the world may sometimes say about you. You are, if you're a Christian, becoming a good work. Whatever you may think about yourself and whatever anybody else may have ever said about you. Forget that. Think of yourself with Jesus. You are becoming a good work. Now, if you're not sure whether the idea of being a good work, whether this really applies to you yet, please come for prayer afterwards. Talk to one of us. And we can show you how God can begin a good work in you. You may wish to join an alpha group, which is starting soon. There's no pressure. Just come to find out more about the person you could be in Jesus. He began a good work in you. I know I can't change myself. I know that only too well, but God can. Let him in and let him do this. And carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Whoever we are, whatever our church situation, we will go on changing if we let him change us until we finally meet Jesus and only then will we be complete. People may give up on us. We may even give up on ourselves. We may think others have completely given up on us. God does not give up on us. Come back to him. Come for prayer ministry, if that's you. And it's in the end, it's between you and him. Now, I can look back on my friends of 30 years ago and say, yes, I can see how God began a good work in your lives, and I am encouraged to know that he has brought you through a serious illness, through hard circumstances in your church. Or, for example, the young family I mentioned moved to a different part of the country when father moved his job and they became part of planting a new church on an estate. Their son, who is my godson, enjoyed this, had a definite calling, he felt, to become a Christian worker, probably a Christian youth worker, went to Bible college, and is now in the full-time ministry. Whether we look back over 30 years, 30 months, or, 30, or days, it matters not, because actually, as a group and individually, we look forward to encourage and support each other, being confident that God, who began a good work in us, each of us, will bring that good work to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So, welcome to Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Let's let the Holy Spirit work these truths inside us. Let them sink in, and then let's go out 
and let that good work continue for him and in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that it is you who bring the new life. You, the resurrected Jesus, who bring new life in every way. Lord, just as you were there with the friends in Philippi, we pray that you will help us to grow in, into the good work that you have for us, becoming your good work as we develop as people, as we grow as a church, and particularly in the next few weeks as we study your precious word. And we ask this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.